Welcome to the Reach Podcast with your pastor, Matt O'Mealy. Go ahead and open your Bibles. We're going to be spending a lot of time in the Scripture tonight, specifically in Romans 15 and 16, and it's going to be awesome. So far uh, tonight, as we were singing... uh, the words from the songs just really made me think of where we're going to be at and where we have been in Romans up to this point. You know, no surprise there. Uh, worship songs usually point to scripture. That's what they are supposed to be doing. So that shouldn't be a surprise. But specifically, the first song when we were singing, um, Who Am I That a King Would Welcome Me, is very specific to what we've been talking about in Romans uh, 14 from last week and Romans 15 we're going to look at this week. The fact that uh, we bring nothing to the table, even as we sing Amazing Grace there at the very end. It is grace that gives us everything we need. It's not what we have done that we earn that God uh, welcomes us. It's not because of who we are, but it's because of who he is. And then finally, the, the bridge of day and night, night and day, let incense arise. It's the fact that what we're talking about right now at the end of Romans is it is the everyday aspects of Christian life where things apply, where as I've been repeatedly saying, because I'm not great at other phrases, where the rubber meets the road, right? Where, where things actually start to happen. Uh, incense arising is when we are living out the Christian faith, not in a way that is robotic or rote memory, but in a natural over, overflowing of God's grace and mercy that he has given us in our lives. That is why the end of Romans is so great, because Paul spends so much time laying out doctrine in the first three quarters of Romans. The last bit of it, like we joked originally, it kind of seems like the extra 30, 45 minutes at the end of Return of the King, uh, the Lord of the Rings movie, where it's like, oh, there's still a movie going on. Well, that's not what Romans is. It's not just like extra stuff that ties up loose ends. It is Paul you know, giving blessing and encouragement to the Roman church, but also showing them this is where life starts to happen as a follower of Christ. So to recap Romans in general, why is Romans so important? Uh, First of all, it is the first epistle that you're going to get to. An epistle is a letter that is written to a specific church or a specific person in the New Testament. So between uh, the book of Acts and then the book of Revelation, everything in between there is a bunch of letters written to people or to churches. Uh, Most of them are from Paul. Some are from other people, such as Peter and James, and they usually have their names in them uh, to to tell you who's writing them to who. But Romans is the first one we we get to because, lo and behold, they are ordered in size. Romans is the longest. But that's also why it is so important uh, as a letter, because as you read through the New Testament and you hit this really long letter to the church in Rome, it contains a very fleshed out version of the connection that the New Testament, that the gospel has to the Old Testament. And it is showing the saving work of Jesus Christ through the gospels. And then really when uh, those things are put into practice, when those things are applied in the mind of the religious uh, Hebrews and and God-fears of the first century, Romans is that book that is showing us what that looks like. He's really, really fleshing it out. It's also written later in Paul's life, and so he's had some time to, you know, marinate and to learn how to explain better and better to the new believers what the gospel is. So in it, Paul unpacks these foundational teachings, and they're the teachings that have been key disciplines for the church as a whole throughout the millennia. Specifically, we can even uh, look at the testimonies from early church fathers that it was them reading the book of Romans that brought them to saving faith, right? So Romans is very important. It is a, it is a key book. One commentary it put it this way when talking about the purpose of Romans on a broad scale. It says that its overarching theme is the gospel message. And that message is not merely useful information, It is no less than the, and he quotes a bunch of Romans verses here, it is no less than the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, from Romans 1.16, as God's sovereign word created the world, as we know from Genesis 1, so by God's message about his son, a creative and renewing righteousness of God revealed from faith for faith. So to read Romans is to then encounter a message able to elicit the obedience of faith which comes from the very beginning of Romans 1, also the very ends of Romans 16 that we're going to be reading tonight. In it, in the book of Romans, Jesus Christ is from start to finish the main focus of everything. So in our mini-series, the reason that we're doing Romans 13, 14, 15, and 16 is because the college Sunday school, for the most part, went all the way up to Romans 12, looking at the gospel aspects of how Paul lays out the foundations of the faith. So 
we had a few weeks, and I thought, why not look at this kind of extra, this appendix of where life just starts to happen as a Christian follower at the end of Romans? Why not look at that and see the practicality of how to live out our faith uh, in, in the gospel? Romans 13, a few weeks ago, was the funny one, because it talks about taxes and stuff. You know, it's kind of weird right in the middle there. But Christians, we learned in that, love through integrity in how we submit to authorities and fulfill our obligations to society, how we love our neighbors, and how we conduct ourselves in day-to-day life. That is how we love through integrity. Chapter 14, last week, uh, if you were there, a lot of you were gone, you can go and watch the, the online version of it, either on a podcast or on our YouTube page. But Romans 14, the summary for that was that we love through our forbearance. And remember, forbearance is that, that longstanding patience and uh, giving grace and forgiveness to those that are struggling. So Christians love through our uh, forbearance by not judging one another, not hindering one another, and mutually through that, building one another up towards faith in Christ. So today, we're going to just really go crazy and hit all of Romans 15 and 16 as fast as possible. Uh, the good news is there's just like a big old long list in the middle of 16, so we're going to just kind of blow through that, and it's going to be a good point, and you'll see what I'm talking about there. But first of all, let's look at Romans 15, starting in verse 1. We'll just read the first section here. It says, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Pause right there. If you were here last week or you weren't and you've listened to the sermon, you would know what we're talking about there because Paul is pointing out in Romans 14 that the strong in the faith should not be belligerent towards those that are weaker in their faith and make them stumble. That's that whole hindrance and judgment thing I was talking about. And for the weak in the faith, meaning those that might want to, you know, be a lot more rule follow if that makes sense, uh, in their time, that they should not then look down on others that don't feel as convicted for these rule followings. Specifically for their context, it was talking about the Jew and Gentile mix where it was, you know, those that want to eat uh, unclean food. And But Paul and even Christ and others say that, you know, not, everything is clean because God has made it so, right? And so that's the, the weak and strong there. So verse 15 or uh, 15.1, is tying back to what we talked about last week. And it's Paul, Paul kind of tying a bow on that whole argument and showing us what that looks like, how this plays out. And primarily, it is through the way that we interact with one another through, uh, through the example of Christ. So continuing on, let's restart in verse 1. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Meaning Christ is saying those, you know, the, the reproaches or the attacks against you, Christ took those attacks on himself for us. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as it is written. This is Paul just hammering a bunch of Old Testament scriptures to to prove his point. He says, therefore I tell you, or therefore I will praise you, sorry, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing your name. And again, it is said, rejoice O Gentiles for his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. I'm going to pray and we will continue. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. And I thank you specifically for that first section of Romans 15. uh, That as a a Gentile, the hope of the Messiah is also meant for me, for all peoples and all nations. That you had planned it from the beginning to redeem for yourself people that would follow after you in faith. And Lord, I pray that as we look at your word tonight, that we will be excited, we will be convicted, and we will be encouraged to band together as the people of God. And Lord, I pray if anyone in here does not yet know you, that they will see your words, they will see the hope and the love and the peace and the joy that comes from being a part of the family of faith 
and they will want to know you. They will want to know more. They will have an unquenchable thirst in their spirit about who you are. Holy Spirit, please move in our hearts and minds. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So our first stop in this lengthy wrap-up of Romans is uh, looking at Christian love through service, as the slide says, Christian love through service. And the reason I titled it Christian love through service, as we're going to see here, there's a whole lot of stuff about uh, the family of faith in general. So to kick off right here, we're seeing that it is, again, Paul hammering in that point that we are to love one another. We're to bear with one another in our, in our failings and in our struggles throughout life, just as Christ did for us. So, service. So in the same way that we love and serve those that God has placed in our lives, like a, a good, healthy, let's just pretend we all have a good, healthy family, right? Like if, you, if you've ever watched uh, Bluey in here, then you know what I'm talking about, right? Like a good, healthy family that really takes care of each other. Even when we mess up, we forgive one another and we want to work together for the good of everyone, right? So that's what we're seeing here at the very end of Romans in this really long outro that Paul has written. We see love and service for the family of faith because of, not, not because we're so great and we're, and we're such hard workers, but because of what Christ has done for us. So that is what we're looking at tonight. So number one, our love of service is by being imitators of Christ. And that's what we see here in this first section, being imitators of Christ. Remembering again that Paul's pointing back to Romans 14, that we are not to judge or condemn or to, to despise other believers, nor should we hinder their conduct because of our conduct. He is giving us a final principle, specifically telling us that believers should take seriously their obligation to bear one another's burdens, right? This very first verse out the gate here, we should take seriously that we have this obligation. An obligation is an important duty. It's a responsibility to be imitators of Christ by bearing one another's burdens. So if we believe the gospel, if we claim to know Christ, if we claim to be a Christian, remember Christian in the first century context meant little Christ. If we claim that, then you are no less called, therefore, to live sacrificially for the good of other people, just as Christ did. If we are called to be imitators of Christ, it doesn't just mean a bunch of niceties. It means sacrificial living for other people, laying yourself down, your preferences down for the good of others, not to be a doormat, but that, so that you won't be a hindrance of other people of getting to know Christ, of coming to faith in him. And we'll continue on seeing this, how Paul takes this very seriously, as he also then is talking about how much he loves a whole bunch of people in Romans 16. But this is the message that we are seeing here in uh, chapters 15 and 16. It is bookended at the very front here of being imitators of Christ in the way that we love one another in chapter 15. And then at the very end of chapter 16, it is Paul up, upholding again the importance of the Lord Jesus Christ and all that we do is to bring him glory. So be imitators of Christ by bearing one another's burdens. And in all of that, it will bring God glory at the end of chapter 16. So this is where we then apply the spiritual truth. And get your pens out to write this down. If it looks like a duck, if it walks like a duck, if it sounds like a duck, then it's a duck. That was a joke, <laughs> guys. Has no one ever heard that? Seriously. That is spiritual, though, because when you think about what I often bring up of what a Christian looks like, it is the fruit of the Spirit, right? It is not fruits of the Spirit. It's not plural. It is the singular growth of fruit that is appropriate for the good and healthy tree of those that are of the branches that are found in themselves. They, they find themselves in the vine of Christ, right? So in Galatians 5, 16 through 26, write that down, look it up later if you don't have it memorized memorize that stuff because it is Paul laying out the differences of walking in the flesh versus walking in the spirit. And so applying the, the rule of if it looks like a duck and it quacks like a duck, then it's a duck. If a Christian looks like Christ, if he sounds like Christ, if he walks like Christ, if he acts like Christ, if the fruit of the spirit of Christ is found in him, then it's a Christian. Does that make sense? So I don't want to be overly simplistic here, but I want us to realize that these markers of the fruit of the Spirit show us that there is a heart change within a believer. That is why Paul is pointing out the example of Christ of bearing with other people's weaknesses. Do we want to do that? Do you want to bear with other people's weaknesses? Do, do you want to have a good attitude when someone else has a bad attitude? Of course not. It's tiring, right? But that is what Christ did for us. 
We love because Christ loved us first, right? 1 John 4, 19. So in the same way that Christ dealt with us, died for us while I was still yet a sinner, died on the cross for me, what better act of praise can I give to that Savior than to love another person created in his image when they're having a bad day? Believe it or not, right? So be imitators of Christ. This is our spiritual act of service towards those that are just merely our neighbors, and especially towards those that are of the brotherhood. So jumping back into Paul's application of imitating Christ here in verse 15, uh, we can see that this is faithfully played out in bearing other people's burdens and seeking their welfare, right? Not putting your desires and wants above theirs, but seeking their welfare, what will bring them ease, right? Again, not being a doormat, but this specifically is a way of looking, looking how Christ looked because John 4, 34, Jesus says this. It says, Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me to accomplish his work. And what is his work? His work is to fulfill what was prophesied before him, right? What was accomplished through him living, dying, and raising back to life and bearing with the burden of the weak. He died for us. His food was to do the will of God. Our food as a Christian right, is the word of God, and that is bearing with other people. That is loving the way that Christ loved. So looking again at these verses, let's move along a little bit further here, verses four and five. What was the purpose of the endurance and the encouragement that is granted to us? It says, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of hope and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, right? So what was the purpose of that encouragement? The purpose of the endurance and encouragement in this context, in being imitators of Christ, bearing with one another's burdens, is to live in harmony, as Paul says, with one another. And in living with harmony, we then glorify God, who we as a church body serve together. This encouragement ultimately is from God, but is empowered in us through the Holy Spirit. So are these just mere instructions for us to follow? Are these just this mere, is it a checklist for us to follow? No, it is a heart change. It is an attitude change. And it is, it is foundational to who a Christian is, right? If we look like Christ, if we sound like Christ, if we walk like Christ, then we are a little Christ. We are a Christian. One of my favorite passages that points to this as well is, uh, Philippians 2, 1 through 10. I'm going to read that. It says, So, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being of, in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's the point but I, I got to read the rest of it because it's so great. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. So is this just merely instructions of a to-do list? No, this is the ultimate purpose of the Christian life is to be sacrificial in the way that Christ was sacrificial right? He died the death that I couldn't pay. He, he paid the price I could never pay, lived the life I couldn't live. So it is, how simple is it then for me in, that, in, in a, a, a mere honoring reflection of him to live similarly to my brothers and sisters, those that God has put me around, to allow God to use me as a reflection of Christ. That is our call. That is our ultimate call as believers, I always come back to the greatest command, right? To love God and love people. Well, how did, love, how did God love us? By sending Christ to die for us. By bearing with my weaknesses while I was still yet a sinner. So, why do we accept each other's burdens? Why do we seek unity? Because it glorifies God and it reflects Christ's actions and hearts toward us. 
One commentary laid it out this way. He said, significantly in the same command that Paul gave strong Christians when he opened up verse, uh, chapter 14, verse 1, as we looked at last week, he says that the model of acceptance for Christians, however, is the Lord Jesus who accepted us. The Lord received believers when they were not only powerless, but also ungodly sinners and enemies, as described in Romans chapter 5. Certainly Christians can receive others who differ from them on non-essential matters. Jesus Christ received them so that they can bring praise to God, which is the purpose of Christian unity for us, the family of God, to bring praise to God. It's not behavior modification. It's not being a better citizen or a better friend. It is to look like Christ and in so doing, bring praise to God. So to wrap up this, this final part of Paul encouraging us to bear with one another, to forgive one another, and to live in harmony with the church family, as he started in Romans 14. Paul is encouraging us to, number one, know that uh, what has the highest priorities in our life. Keep your priorities straight and be firm in your faith because we are obligated, as Paul says here, to serve one another and to not be selfish and to seek the benefit of others, not for our own benefit. Everyone should seek the good of their neighbor, as he says here, as he explains in Philippians 2. We should be imitators of Christ. Christ, who not only didn't seek his own good, but he sought our good and intentionally took on our burden. And he did all those things because it was God's plan. It fulfilled God's plan from the beginning. That's what was written about Christ. That was God's plan to redeem all that was broken. Because of this hope in Christ, who redeems all broken things, we have hope. So because of that, let's strive for unity so that through it, we may bring glory to God. And since we've been so graciously welcomed in, going back to what I saw in that song earlier, since we've been so graciously welcomed in, not because of what we've done, but because of what Christ has done, it is then glorifying to God for us to welcome in others. So wrapping up this section, verses 8 through 12, this is where uh, Paul is pointing out that Jesus gave himself up for the sake of others and also showing that scriptural truths have been pointing to God's plan all along that the Gentiles were always a part of God's plan to fulfill the kingdom of God. The big takeaway here for us, I think most of us in here are not Jewish by birth, uh, is that any spiritual blessings that we have as Gentiles are from the mercy of God. God did not give a covenant with us, like we're not a part of the Abrahamic covenant or any of those things as far as direct descendants. But God had had planned from the beginning, as Paul is laying out here, he lays out four different verses that specifically show a thread of hope for the Gentiles from the start to the finish. And he does this, and in doing so, he's showing in the, the law, the, God, or the, the law, the prophets, and the narratives, uh, in the, the poetry, and in, in all the things in the Old Testament, Paul is laying out showing, hey, look, this has always been God's plan. This isn't a new thing. And anyone that doesn't see that has not been paying attention. So with that in mind, knowing that it has been God's plan to redeem all nations, that it has been God's plan for us to grow in unity and reflect Christ, we are, number one, to be imitators of Christ. And number two, we are to be about the Lord's work. Be about the Lord's work. All right, go back to Romans 15, starting in verse 14. Paul says this, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. Pay attention to that. That is an important verse. We're going to look at that several times. But on some points, I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God, for I will not venture to speak of anything except Christ, except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. Pause right there. Uh, sub points here. What he's talking about is all the work that he has done with the Gentiles 
He doesn't want to build on someone else's foundation. That's not a negative thing. Essentially, he's saying he is wanting to spread the gospel. He's looking for opportunities to go on his missionary journeys. He doesn't, if, if there's already a growing church over here, he doesn't want to go there and just be a repetition of what's already happened. He's wanting to go where the gospel has not yet sprung up because he knows that the scriptures say those who have never been told of him will see, right? And those who have never heard will understand. Just like Christ would say in repeating the Old Testament, those who have ears, let them hear, right? Paul is looking for those that he can share the gospel with that are ready to receive it. Verse 22, this is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you. Once I have enjoyed your company for a while at present, however, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem, for they were pleased to do it. And indeed they owe it to them, for if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. I appeal to you, brothers, by the Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. That sounds like the end of the book. It's not. Paul has more. But being about the Lord's work, paying attention to verse 14, as I said, look at that verse and exactly what that's uh, what that is saying there, that is continuing this thread of Paul saying, let's, let's be about pouring into one another. Verse 14, again, it says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. And then he goes on to lay out his plans, essentially, for him to go and to visit all these people because, point number two, he is about the Lord's work. And he is excited that there are other people who are also about the Lord's work. Now, looking at this verbiage that he has there of uh, that they are complete in knowledge or they have an understanding of the full scope of the Christian truth. This is the type of maturity that we are all to strive for. We all want to be complete in our knowledge, but be careful. The, the way that you interpret this phrase, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct, it does not assume that you arrive in life, that you arrive at some spiritual success point and you're able to just sit back and coast, Right? But it is a person who has arrived at knowledge, they know that they still have areas to grow in their maturity. They know that they still can be poured into by others because they realize the more as an expert grows in their expertise, the more they realize they don't know and they're willing to listen. So as we are called to step up and to pour into others, we need to be just as ready to listen to be poured into ourselves, right? This brings to mind a very specific instance in my life at Collegiate Week, at Glorietta, back in the day when we would go to Glorietta for that, when I thought that I was really good at air hockey. And at the time, Kiva and I were dating. And I am not a very competitive person at all. So if you guys play games with me and you win, I'll be like, meh, whatever. Uh, but I wanted to show off, because I'm generally pretty good at table-type games like ping pong, etc., pretty profession at those. So I wanted to impress my girlfriend and to kick her butt in air hockey because you know girls like to lose games, right? So <laughs> I proceeded to hit some pretty wicked bouncing ricochet shots all around the table while she just patiently guarded her goal, waiting for me to slip up so she could just nail her shot right into my goal. And it turned into the best two out of three, best five out of seven. I learned a valuable lesson that girls are expensive and I needed humility because I wasted like all the pocket change I had on air hockey at Glorietta. I had assumed that I had arrived at a skill level to where I didn't have anything else to be taught. I was taught patience in air hockey. My pride preceded the fall. I'm preaching, you're not preaching. <laughs> what do you have to say, dear? Oh yes, thank you, yes. Yes, uh, marriage is the great, the great sanctifier, uh, and children are the great sanctifier, part two. So uh, be ready for that. 
Likewise, as we mature in the Christian faith, be careful as you feel compelled to instruct one another, right? Be careful of that feeling that, oh, I need to instruct this person. For while we are called to do so, it does not mean that you are extra special, that you've arrived, that God couldn't possibly grow this person without you. Be careful of that, because that is not true. With that in mind, one thing that should make us take notice at the end of Romans is that Paul is taking an awful lot of time wrapping up his letter. Why is he writing so many extra tips and encouragements at the end of Romans? Several factors play into that. The fact that he had not yet visited Rome. He doesn't know a lot of these people he's writing to at all, right? He hasn't established personal relationships with them, but it is still showing his heart, as we're going to see here, especially in chapter 16, but even here as he is showing his heart to be with them and to, in, to invite them along with his call to the Gentiles, he's super pumped up about that. That is obvious. It shows his heart for discipleship, Christian relationship, and the mutual building up of one another. That's what he's been talking about, right? Sometimes the, the intro of the letters or the, the outro, I guess, of the letters can get passed over because it just seems like pleasantries and formal stuff. But if you dig a little bit deeper and you think about who Paul's talking to and why he's talking to them and what he's sharing with them, you see the heart of a person who loves his people, the heart of a person who loves the mission of God, who wants to invite others to join with him in that, right? He's, he's not the professional that wants to lone ranger this. He's the person who wants to bring others along with him and to invest in their life and to see them grow and flourish along with him. So how well do we do in investing our lives and other people. I'll be honest and say I'm not the best at it. I'm just not, I'm not that great. And reading about what Paul is saying and doing here, just in his outro of his very long letter, it shows that I have a long road to go of learning how to invest in other people in a way that, that is humble, in a way that is sincere and honest, just like Paul. Because the truth is, we are called to imitate Christ. We are called to be like Paul in this. We don't put Paul up on a pedestal and say, look how great he is. We can never be that way. Don't even try. That is not at all what we're called to do because Peter tells us this in 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10. He says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So as ministers, as a royal priesthood, we are called to preach the good news to others, not through us, but through the power of the Holy Spirit, through us in other people's lives. That is how they are made, as Paul is saying, acceptable to God as the Gentiles were. So as a Gentile, looking at what Peter is saying here, I was not a people. I was not a part of God's people. I had not received mercy, but I have received mercy. I've been brought into God's people, adopted as a son. Therefore, I get to join as part of the royal priesthood in spreading the gospel. This takes us to the crazy long part of Romans 16. As we imitate Christ and form our lives around the Lord's work, just like Paul did, we are called to be about the Lord's people. We're called to be about the Lord's people. Now, I am going to properly pronounce every one of these names. Romans 16, verse 1, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Sincrea, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ, who risked their necks for my life to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet, all, greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Epanetus, sure, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who, who has worked hard with you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen, meaning his also Jews, and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in Lord. Greet 
Urbanus, my fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachys. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphena and Tryphosa. Greet the beloved Persis, who worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Patrobus, Hermes, or Hermas, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. Skip down to verse 21. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So do Lucius and Jason and Sosipater, my kinsmen. I, Tertius, wrote this letter, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, who is host to me and to the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Cordus, greet you. So, be about the Lord's people. By my count, that's about 40 or more individuals and groups that are mentioned here. 40 individuals, churches, house churches that Paul mentions. This even more so fleshes out the apostles' heart for the people of God and the work that God is doing in and through their lives. This lengthy section is more than just various pleasantries and niceties like the Midwestern greeting of tell your folks I says hi, right? That's, that's not what's going on here. This is sincere, this is specific, and it's in depth. This brings to mind when I lived in NOLA in New Orleans. <clears throat> we often went to uh, festivals. There's festivals pretty much every weekend in New Orleans uh, in more than one neighborhood, and it is a lot of fun to go to those. And our favorite that we would go to was the Po' Boy Fest, which took up something like a dozen blocks with multiple music stages on either end of it. If you don't know what a Po' Boy is, it's a gigantic sandwich on French bread and uh, filled with all sorts of things. And my favorite is uh, fried shrimp, because uh, that's the way God intended. But there's other good ones as well. So there's hundreds of food stands and about 50,000 plus people would come throughout the weekend. And one year while we were walking around, we had invited one of Kiva's cosmetology school classmates to join us. And while we were there, every block or so as we walked, people would stop us, our friends would stop us. They would say hi, they would share tips on which stands had the best whatever type of po' boy that we wanted to have that day. And this blew her mind because we weren't from New Orleans. She was. And yet, we knew a ton of people in this giant festival. She was bewildered, and she asked, how did we know so many people? And we basically just said, well, they're friends from church, or they're friends of friends from church that we invited to the coffee shop and we went out to dinner with. So how did we know these people? It's because we spent time with them through the family of God. It was intentional. Were they all my best friends? No, of course not. But it was worthwhile to invest time in their lives and likewise be invested back in as I got to know people from all over the country. Likewise, going off of Paul's example here, reading this giant list of names, we are to be about the Lord's people by loving them well through prayer, through encouragement, and through genuine friendship and concern for one another. As Pastor Philip often says, quality time comes through quantity time. So whether you're deepening your relationships and your accountability with one another, with your brothers and sisters in Christ, or you're seeking for opportunity for the Spirit to open up doors for you to preach the gospel into a friend's life who is far from God, spends time with other people. I feel sad saying that because I'm not great at it, right? I've, I let a lot of excuses get in my way of spending time with other people. But this is the warmth and the attraction that the church family has that the cold and lonely world wants. Yes, it's the gospel of Christ. Yes, it's forgiveness that's found only in him. But as a family of those that believe that and stake their lives on that, it is the warmth that we have towards one another that is unique. How can we live with one another and put up with each other's idiosyncrasies and annoyances in a way that is God-honoring and it not be attractive to those outside of the family of faith, right? Spend time with people. 
You might come from a family that benefits from good relationships. You might come from a family who lacks good relationships. Either way, if you know Christ, if you're a Christian, if you're a little Christ, you should be motivated to lean into your spiritual family, to lean into those who have good family relationships, to lean into those especially that lack good relationships, so that through them, through good relationships, we can pour into one another and together become more like Christ. Yes, we're all different. Yes, we'll annoy each other. I guarantee you the apostles annoyed Jesus. (laughs) But he wants us to spend time together and together spend time with him. So learning from Paul here, these verses show us his heart for all these people, how much he's prayed for them, how much he's sacrificed for them. And clearly every one of them in some way has also sacrificed alongside him. As he said, they stuck out their neck for him. Many, if not all of them, at some point risked physically for Paul for the sharing of the gospel ministry together. Looking a little bit closer in this list, we see there are representatives of both genders. There's various backgrounds. There's different social classes. There's different locations. But at some point, they've all been serving one another, serving together, praying for one another. They know about each other, and they love each other. Paul often is viewed, again, as this Superman of the faith, right? We put him up on a pillar. But even Paul, in verses 21 through 23, he is He is sharing those who have been with him through trial, sat with him in prison, pointing out the fact that he himself is not a lone ranger in faith. And we cannot be lone rangers in the faith. We need the family of faith. This serves as a real-life illustration. If you back up to Romans 12, those of you that were in Sunday school would have talked about this. Romans 12, 5, Paul says, So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Paul is showing through his own testimony of his life, of the relationships, friendships, and the depth that he has with these people, what that looks like. So as we wrap up Romans, remember, be imitators of Christ, forming our lives around the Lord's work and his people, so that, number four, we may be about the Lord's truth. If we have any hope of succeeding, we need to be about the Lord's truth. Paul has more than anything made it evident throughout this whole letter that our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness, which I quoted that intentionally. Uh, That is a a hymn, unlike Pastor Zach, who unintentionally says lines from worship songs all the time because he's the worship leader and they're just in his head. (laughs) But for us, That song just kept coming to mind as I was looking at what Paul was ending on here. There's even this doxology we're going to read here in a second at the end of Romans 16 that we should be about Jesus and his blood and his righteousness. Not ours, but what he has accomplished. That is the Lord's truth. Paul is wrapping up with an appeal for us to stick to truthful doctrine, to stick to sincere, wise obedience, all to the glory of God. So read with me, starting in verse 17, chapter 16, verse 17. It says, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent, As to what is evil, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Verse 25. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of the Lord Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God, to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. So Paul is giving us a final warning against those that would seek to lead us astray for their own gain. It's notable in what he said there in verses, uh, starting in verse 17, that the warning sign is anyone who is teaching something contrary to the gospel of Christ. 
if it doesn't line up obviously with the gospel of Christ, it is suspect and it should be held accountable. How do we do that best? By being in community, by the weak and the strong, being patient and humble with one another as one person is struggling with what could be a false doctrine, we don't bash them over the head with the Bible to set them straight. We come alongside them and we dig into God's word together. That is why it is so important what Paul said in chapters 14 and 15 about bearing one another's burdens in this. Paul is giving us the key of how to deal with that. We look out for the weak among us, and as the strong, we come alongside them and we bear with their failings, going back to chapter 15, verse 1. Like a good older sibling looking out for the younger sibling, we bear with their failings. I was immature and weak, and I've made poor choices, but I've had friends in my life that have come alongside me and pointed those things out. I know a lot of you in here have experienced similar things, where there's been points in your life where you were immature and weak or a little off-center on some specific topic of doctrine or of life choices you've made. And I've heard testimony of when the people of God have rallied around you and helped bring you back to center, bring you back to Christ, to his word. And you can glorify God because of that. Not because of how great that other person is. God didn't need them to get that done, but God chooses to use your friend in the faith to bring you back to his word. Likewise, Paul is landing on this high note here of saying that, yeah, there are going to come those that want to distract you and to lead you astray from the truth, but ultimately God will get the glory. He says that the God of peace will be with us. He has the ultimate glory and he will be consistent all along as he always has. He references an allusion to Genesis 3.15 where the reader should remember that that's where God tells the serpent that the Messiah is going to crush his head. I love this verse. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under his feet, under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. The God of peace is going to crush Satan under your feet as you walk in his truth, as you are about the work of the Father, as you together as a family of faith are imitators of Christ. I love the doxology that is at the end here. It is a short hymn of praise to God, summarizing what Paul's letter has been about this whole time, where he has taken us, revealing the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The fact that it was a mystery from ages past, and all along it has been meant for all nations. That according to God's command and God's intent and God's design, that we would come to faith in him and be obedient through Christ. And in that, it will bring him glory. So, this loving, encouraging family of faith, this, this faith rally that, that Paul has laid out here as he is explaining the relationships and the work that he has done with these people should be an encouragement to us, but it should also bring conviction. Where do we need to grow as imitators of Christ in our lives? Where do we need to grow in how we are connected to the Lord's people? Where can we grow in our lives, to where we focus on the work of God and not just our preferences and idiosyncrasies. Put the summary up on the screen for me here. But it's essentially that, that we are called to be imitators of Christ. And through being imitators of Christ, we are then making ourselves about his work. Because even Jesus says he wasn't here for his own pleasure, he was here for the will of the Father. So we, as we are about the work of the Father, about the work of Christ in our lives, we are then also leaning upon the brotherhood of, of faith. And through that, we get to bless all around us. It is my hope for REACH as we go forward into a, a new school year in, here in just a few weeks, as we're in a new season as the REACH community, as I'm coming in and right, I'm new and I'm different or whatever. It is my prayer that we continue what I have heard and what I have seen as I've been here for three months of seeing the family of faith that is specific to the REACH community, one that is loving and that is warm and that is generous. But how can we do that better, right? Not, not because we want to pat ourselves on the back, but how can we together 
be even more inviting because we don't want to just come together and feel good about ourselves and, and have some behavior modification. We want to see people come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So how can we grow together being about the Lord's work and seeing people go, what, what's different about you guys? Why do you love being together so much? How can I get a part of that? Is it just trying harder? No, it's not just trying harder. It's through love, loving God, loving people, and seeing the fruit of the Spirit grow in our lives, not just individually, not just alone as a lone ranger, but together as the family of God working for something bigger than us, and that is Christ and his gospel. Be open and honest. How have you been? It's summertime, right? How have you been with pouring into the family of faith? Have you been making time for one another? Or do you let excuses of life be a, be a wall between you and those that God has sovereignly placed you around, right? Is, is Netflix more important than spending time with other people? Is, is sleeping in again this summer more important than spending time with other people? I'm not a morning person. I get it, man. If I don't have to be somewhere, I won't get up. <laughs> but other people are worth it. Because they're made in God's image. God loves them. And if you are a Christ follower, he wants you to pour into those that he's placed you around. So how can we, as the REACH community, be honest about that and hold one another accountable, invite one another? Sometimes we don't feel like going and doing stuff. Sometimes you do. And when you do, invite others because they might not feel like it and they need that little nudge. Let's be about God's work. Let's be about the gospel. This is Matt O'Mealy, pastor to young adults at Evergreen Baptist Church. I want to invite you to come to Reach. We meet every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. at Evergreen in South Tulsa, just east of Mingo on 111th Street. The mission of Reach Tulsa is to cultivate a young adult community that is defined by real transformation and the sincere pursuit of a godly life through training in biblical disciplines, personal development, and intentionally transitioning into independence as mature members of the body of Christ. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to like and subscribe to our content. We are available on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Reach Young Adult Ministry is a part of Evergreen Church in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For more information and additional lessons, please visit our website, evergreenbc.org.